Yeah, I'm not really good at that. The Big Dipper's not there, I'm kind of useless. Great. Hey folks, you are listening to Orville Land. This is the podcast that believes home is where you make it. A human cliche. My name's Dan Barra. I'm joined here by our regular panel of Orvillians. Orvillians? Orvillians, Orvillians. No, Orvillians. Orvillians. Yeah. Our regular panel of Orvillians. We're going to be here talking about the Orville. It aired this week. The standard rule applies with this podcast. We encourage people to watch the episode that aired this week on SBS Viceland or stream at any time at SBS On Demand. Then... You just come on here, you listen to the podcast as we dissect the episode with spoilers ahoy. So if you're spoiler allergic, maybe watch the episode, come back, and we know you'll want to. But the or villains of whom are here to join me, as always, Lieutenant Shelley Peacock, how are you doing? Hello, very well, thank you, Dan. And Ensign Sid Sharma. I'm very glad to be here and not be spaced, as as one of the ensigns in today's episode was by the terrible Kalon. Just mm. Did they use that term or did you just come up with that? Well, spaced? Yeah. I thought that's a fairly normal sci-fi term for being chucked out an airlock, which is the space equivalent of walking the plank. See, because I was raised in a different part of Australia, and so we refer to it as airlocked. Airlocked, I see, I <laughs> yeah. see. Well, I'm glad that we can kind of bridge that difference. And, you know, language is a funny thing. Language is a very funny thing. Now, other funny things in the world is Shelley Peacock every week delivers us a synopsis as to the funniness that was the Orville this week. Because, frankly, I don't remember what happened on the episode. Sid, I'm sure you're probably just as clueless as I. What are we doing here? Who are we? What's going on? Shelley Peacock, please remind us what happened on this week's Orville. This week on the Orville, it's part two of the epic robot takeover as the Kalons advance with the ship in an effort to attack Earth. This will be the first phase of our extermination of biological life forms in this galaxy. New alliances are formed. The Krill and the humans? How do you propose we work together? Ty and Yaffet? Ready? Uh-huh. And wait for it, Kelly and Malloy. Dude, are you high? But more on that coupling later. Ooh, what's going on there? Saucy. Oh, yeah. nothing, I guess. No? No, well, later, later. Yeah. Is anyone it. sensing love mm. on the ship? I'm very bad at sensing love in general. Oh, Sid. Yeah. Is this what it feels like when doves cry? Yes. At yeah. Amraz, everyone, at Amraz. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Tinder name? No, that's the one, my Instagram one, you know? Okay. My... Can people look one up on Tinder? I don't know. Yeah, like if you heard about a, a hot tamale around the place, you're like, oh, yeah, hot tamale. That's a really good function. I think we should It would be that. handy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, maybe it takes away from the gamification of I see. the dating, yeah, 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 yeah. which is the most important part of it. Mm-hmm. Guys, let's talk about the Orville. This is an unusual episode. It's part two of a two-parter. We haven't really had this, at least as far as Orville land's been concerned. Mm. No, I, well, I we did last season. We yeah. had it with the- um, But there's no Orville land then. No, there was no Overland then. And quietly, I haven't seen those episodes. Well, okay. Uncharted territory. Let's go. Yeah. We? But we're diving in deep. So this is part two of Identity. In last week's episode, we found out that the Kalons? Kale- yep. Kalons, yeah. Yeah, the Kalons. They had brutally murdered the, uh, we'll call them people of that planet. Builders. Builders, Builders? Yes, yes. And actually, for a point of contention, I think Kalon is like sheep, where the plural... Or is uh, Kalon. That is correct. Right on. Is that really a thing? Um, I just think it sounds better, and I want to I want to adhere to that convention today if we can. Okay. okay, we'll stick to it. We'll, Thanks, de- we'll definitely <laughs> stick to that. We will not shift from that at all. Thank you. So the Kalonians. Oh no. oh no, we missed it already. Oh. <laughs> My intelligence far exceeds yours. The Kalon, 
ended up brutally murdering all the builders. Mm, horrible. And, yeah. And as a result, uh, it was a bit of a twist when they're like, oh, my God, the Kalon, not good dudes. Isaac, you're one of us. You're clearly not a good dude as well. Bam, bam. All of them turn on the humans, take over the ship, and that was the to be continued. We were scared. We didn't know what the future was for the Orville uh, crew. Mm-hmm. I suspect that last week there might be a giant reset button where by the end of this episode, things would go back to normal. While that happened to a certain extent, I think that the chess pieces on the board did get moved around enough for me to comfortably say they didn't really just do a reset at all, but rather this is a new status quo for a lot of the relationships on board. The balance of power has shifted. Yes, it really has. Indeed. Significantly. Yeah. I'm going to jump right to the end of the episode because essentially all of it was building up to this. When I was watching it last week, we were trying to work out whether or not Isaac would continue on with the ship. Okay, I think I'd suggested that they would find a way for him to be on there and keep it going. Yeah. Which they absolutely did that, and it was just the reset button. But when we were talking about it last week, I think all of us agreed that Isaac's storyline had kind of run its course to a certain degree. And I think that with everyone having seen that, no, he's actually been kind of evil, uh, that probably changes the relationship dynamics a fair bit on the show. But in theory, he's probably going to be more or less the same Isaac next week. Yeah. Yeah, look, yeah. What I'd hope, though is I was looking at the new status quo that was being developed with the new alliance with the crew, which have been the Klingons to, you know, the Orville's Enterprise in the past. And I thought maybe they'll actually sort of shake the show up a little bit in the same way they weren't really afraid to mix up some of the cast earlier this season. I thought maybe you could bring on that crew commander on as a regular onto the series and maybe have him take on a Worf-type role on the show. We've got like one of the traditional enemy who've now actually joined them as a crew member as they use that to forge an alliance between two previous warring enemies. Yeah, I love that. And that would have been cool, but, you know, mm, reset no, button, Isaac's back. Right. Well, Isaac is back, but he's an empathetic Isaac. He's an Isaac who's changed and who doesn't have a home. Ooh. Yeah. And I wonder, because he's a robot, how much can he really change? Well, he keeps saying sympathy isn't in his programming. But he's evolving, right? Didn't, didn't those robots say that they were constantly learning and adapting and evolving? So maybe he <coughs> Yeah, will... but the robots would say that, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, they would. That's exactly what the robots would say, Shelley. <laughs> mm. you've, been, you've been duped. I've been you've manipulated been, by a robot. Done. God damn it. Yeah. But uh, they are coldly rational. Sorry, Dan, to cut you off. They yeah. are coldly rational. And he does understand that the moment he goes back to Kalon space, they'll deactivate him. So if he wants to be a thinking, feeling robot, He's got to stay on the Orville. And just on that, so if he just stays away from their orbit, he'll be okay? Is that like how are they not deactivating him right now? Maybe they're not in radio range or something. I don't know how Kalon technology works. Because they did that last time. They just deactivated him. Actually, you're right. Did I miss something? No, no, you didn't. No, episodic inconsistency. They very well could just shut him off. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Or maybe was that what Yafit was talking about at the end, where he was going to like get in his systems? Mm. And like frig with something and then make it so that they couldn't turn him off remotely. And he'd just be his own person robot thing. Well, we'll find out if it becomes a plot point in the future. Mm. Yeah. While the Kalon are cold and unfeeling people, maybe the most human of all the Orville uh, crew is Malloy. And we found out something which I didn't know about the character and I'm hoping it was a surprise to everyone else as well. He's from New Jersey. No, oh, I hadn't picked it. No. Where everyone's really upfront and, and doesn't doesn't dispense with the... Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, depends on what the curse word is. Well, the curse word is steer feces. That's not really a curse word. All right, bullshit. Wait, 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 wait. You know, I'm doing exactly the opposite of what apparently New Jerseyans do. Jerseyites? Jerseyans. Kalonians. It is possible you require reprogramming. Um, <laughs> which is 
just revolving around in the bullshit. But um, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's from Jersey. You'd probably dig it. And he, he thought that somehow that would bridge the gap between him and the Kalon and allow them to use the bathrooms and <laughs> find out what's going on, which... Yeah, it, it, it seemed like a flawed... Mm. Yeah. Uh, but they did find a solution to the bathroom issue, which was the pee corner. Mm. Yeah, you yeah. do not want to go over there. No. Unless you have to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even really think about that. It'd I, be a stinky little corner. I once worked in a workplace that only had one lot of bathrooms. Oh, dear. Like it was an office of like 70 odd people and just like one set of bathrooms. Mm. And one day the men's bathroom, like it just backed up and overflowed and it was effectively that officer's pee corner. Oh, God. It is unpleasant. I will tell you that much. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> mm. The stories I have to tell. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, while I'm a little bit ashen-faced, I'm just going to try to plough forward. Something I thought was really cool was when the Kalon end up walking into the shuttle bay and his head just opens up and giant cannons come out and yeah. he starts throwing people down. Yeah, because until then they were not particularly menacing. No. 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 But that I, was menacing. That was menacing because something like spider-like and weird about that. Mm. Just all these appendages suddenly. Ooh. So Isaac had that. In his noggin the whole time? I don't, didn't we see Isaac use that? I thought he did at the end yeah. when he was taking out some of the other yeah. guys Ooh. on the yes. bridge. Mm. Also, there were a lot of different coloured eyes. I think I figured that out. Yeah? So you had Kalon Prime, who's like the head Kalon. Mm. His eyes were red. Then you had Kalon Secondary, whose eyes were orange. Everyone else's was orange and Isaac was blue Ooh, because okay. he was the emissary. But Kalon Prime, big bad guy, he's the one who gets his head ripped off. Ooh. And then everyone else is orange. That is correct. Yeah. I see. Hmm. I understand now. That's cool. Uh, Tala, she got hit. Mm. Yeah. And so they take her to the sick bay. I don't really understand why, if they were planning on brutally murdering all these humans, they'd allow this to happen. Well, they needed the bridge crew because um, anytime they hail a union ship, you get a video message at the bridge. But she's just security. She's not necessarily always on the bridge. Yeah, but she's probably in, in the camera sort of view, mm. that kind of thing. I don't know. She's not always up there. Well, that's how well, Ed does justify making sure that she gets medical aid by saying she's one of the most important officers on his bridge crew, which actually, if you were trying to take over a ship, you probably would neutralize a few of those. Yes. I don't know. All of this seems strategically unsound to me. Mm. And then the spacing, which you referenced earlier, that was in turns. Really scary and sad. Not a good way to go, eh? Yeah, when they, they chuck the ensign out. Mm. Yeah. Yucky. Is that what would happen? You would just freeze or would you get like turned inside out? Like what's the deal? Usually in most movies when that happens, they just freeze. Well, space is very cold. It's pretty chilly. But I've also heard that because there's no vacuum, your blood actually boils. Oh, God. Yeah. So all kinds of hot and cold going on. Surely you're dead before the blood starts boiling though. Well, yeah, I don't know. At what point does brain death occur? Actually, your brain probably just, it's probably like that nitrogen ice cream where it just freezes immediately. Probably like that. Ooh. It's probably exactly the same. I don't know. Ooh. It's terrifying either way, and I feel bad for that guy, and I think Mercer did too. Mm. And it's it was kind of... I, I saw that Isaac would start to flip then because he did try and save the ensign. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Isaac, I thought it was uh, just an interesting footnote that Isaac was constructed after the eradication of all the builders yeah. on yeah. the planet. So I thought it was... It was a way for that character to sort of move forward, saying that he wasn't complicit in the eradication, the extermination. Yeah, and and also didn't understand, I guess, the frame of reference that the other Kalon were coming from, which is they were basically forced into servitude. And the one thing that was pretty horrendous was the the builders had implanted them with like pain stimulators. Yeah. To punish them, which just doesn't seem like something you should do to robots. 
And I thought it was fairly smart right at the end when the commander, Admiral. Yeah. Admiral Halsey. Admiral, Admiral Halsey. When he had suggested that they put some sort of switch on Isaac to be able to stop him. And I think it's Ed that replies back saying that, look, this is actually making us no better than the slaveholders. Yeah. I feel like that's a fairly Orville thing. Like every Orville, they kind of have this one moral quandary and they have to say that we can't do this or we're basically replicating the, the mores of the people that we're knocking here. Yeah. Now, because we watched the show a little bit ahead of broadcast and because the information we have is actually fairly limited, when people watch it on TV, they've got more information at their hands than we have. Sometimes we miss some guest stars. <gasps> Two weeks ago, embarrassingly, we missed Bruce Willis. Wow. Yeah, I rewatched it this afternoon. Yeah. I've been kicking myself for two weeks. He's a, he's a big one to miss. And especially because, yeah. I mean, I'm terrible at it, but you guys are so good at picking voices oh. and stuff like that. Yeah. But see, this is what gets me. So this week we've got uh, the former trainer that Ed had, uh, Captain Marcos. Yeah. He looks like somebody and I cannot for the life of me work out who he is. Oh, no. Maybe maybe in uh, two weeks' time on the next Orville <laughs> Land, <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can drop some truth. Yeah. And it'll turn out that it's like Matt Damon or someone. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, horribly embarrassing and I cannot work out who he is. But the uh, Krill, the guy who's in charge of the Krill, do we have a name for... Uh, Captain Dalek. Yeah, Daleks, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Which I think is great. Uh, <laughs> he's actually somebody of note as well, but not really like a household name by any means. And you have to get into your pretty strong, like, nerd core to really know this guy. <laughs> All right, go on. Okay. So it's this actor named Nick Chinland. And tell me, why should I believe such a clear and obvious fabrication? Now, I'm getting blank stares from everyone else here in the studio. And fair enough. Mm. But for X-Files fans, he's really notable from a season two episode of that show uh, where he played a character called Donny Fister. Feister? I'm not so sure how to pronounce it. But it was like one of these very rare episodes of the X-Files, which wasn't supernatural, but rather it was dealing with the evil of humanity. Ooh. And mm. so he was a very notable standout character in the very early seasons of that program. Right, right on. Yeah. But anyway, he's doing consistent TV work ever since then, and he's here in the Orville. So you pick him and not Bruce Willis? Uh, well, I didn't actually pick him, but rather I was just kind of looking at him going, something seems familiar about him. Right. And thankfully I was able to find that on his IMDb. He oh. had the credit for this. Yeah. But that's because he was like a day like it was a day job sort of a thing. It wasn't like a guest cameo. Yeah. 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 And they keep those guest cameos under wraps. Mm. Yeah, I guess they would. Yeah. Very frustrating for us. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got that cool moment where Ed's talking to Marcos and he gives the code, which I thought was very heavily telegraphed. So Yeah, it wasn't know. it wasn't subtle at all. No, not in the slightest, but it's the 13 button salute. Yeah, which yeah. stands for Directive 98, which is not really ever properly explained what it is. Okay, so I mean we know that the 13 button salute is a union passphrase that says that guys, we're under hostage, like, you know, this is a thing going on. So I'm guessing that uh, 98 probably represents the idea that you have to go and get in contact with the yeah. union and get help. Yeah, or maybe maybe something along the lines of like, all right, nerd core timed Dan, but yeah. you know, in Halo when they come across the Covenant in Halo One and the Pillar of Autumn has to make a blind jump into space to, course, lead, to yeah. lead to lead the Covenant as far away from Earth as they can. Maybe that's it, because mm. and we'll get into this later, we'll talk about first contacts, but you probably just take them as far away as you can from your doorstep. Well, I mean, the thing with any hostage situation is that no two incidents are exactly the same. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a number of protocols in place for this is this type of hostage situation. Take care of that. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess I guess it's just the thing that they really had to do was get word out because 
Marcos's ship started to maneuver pretty obviously. The Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, the Roosevelt. Mm. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. They got taken out so quickly. Mm. Yeah, I guess that special guest star won't be making a second appearance. No. Mm. No, unfortunately. But a guest star that keeps on coming back for appearances is one Norm MacDonald as Yaffet. Yes. Nor... That's not his name. That is very much not his name. (laughs) Moral. That was kind of like what he is in sound form, I guess. But Uh, um, on a matter pure. Yeah. So I thought it'd just been a few hours since you'd had lunch. (laughs) Your belly just. (laughs) Which is something that Tharl would sound like. Tharl. Oh, I miss him. Yeah. Brief chief of security. Mm. This is why I think the Kalon have kind of screwed themselves over because obviously they've been planning to do this for a little while. So all they had to do was shut down Isaac to set this into motion. Why didn't you do it when you had a lesser security officer of whom was on board than (laughs) Tala? Yeah, they should have done it when Thal was on the bridge. He was eating his salad. Smashing his lunches. Yeah, for his multiple esophagus. (laughs) I think in general they should have just... They didn't even need to bring Isaac back. What they just needed to do was just blindside Earth and other main union planets. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's that element of surprise and that massive force that would have... there was that problem where all the um, Union ships were scattered and all that kind of stuff, and they only just managed to bring them back in time. And the Mocklins were too far away from Earth space. So all they really needed to do was go out and hit Earth. And they, Smash it up. Yeah. 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 But we have cool Yaffet moments. He runs down the Jeffrey's tube. Yes. Which but- I don't know if they call them Jeffrey's tubes in Warhol, <laughs> but that's what they call them in Star Trek, so here we go. What I tried to get out earlier, but then it divulged into weird mumbled noises. Yeah, he was having a really serious, like, heroic moment today's episode. He did, episode. it was like Bruce Willis. Yeah, it was great. Yippee-ki-yay, mother Yeah, it really shone this episode. Yeah. He really did. Love him. Not only did he save Ty, he brought Isaac back to life. <gasps> he helped make sure that the message got out and that the Union Navy was able to mobilise. Yeah, for Yaffet saved the day here. This was his episode. Yeah. I'm calling it. So he does team up with Ty, and I have to say, I find Ty kind of annoying on the show. Isaac, help me, please! But he's not to the level of annoying as like a Wesley Crusher, which I think really says something. Wait, who's that? Uh, it's Will Whedon from Star Trek Next Generation. Oh. He was in it for the first few seasons as the world's most annoying teenager. Oh, gross. What kind of stuff did he do that was so annoying? Oh, first of all, everything was annoying about him. He was just a know-it-all little... Ah, I just want to smack that kid. Mm. Well, for being a know-it-all... Yeah. Sorry, it's just hitting close to home. Sir, I know this may finish me as an acting ensign, but... Shut up, Wesley! (laughs) (laughs) But Ty's been so, uh, the last few episodes, so he's really whingy and just like always running off. He's such a little scamp. He's a teenager. He is. No, he's a preteen. Well, tween. Tween. Mm. Yeah, but I, I think the whole Finn family is kind of, they're a little naive. I feel like Ty just suddenly felt this robot was his father. Um, and Claire, actually, towards the end of the episode, just seemed like she was ready to start forgiving Isaac before he even said sorry, which is the least you could do if you almost destroyed the Earth. <laughs> and, and I mean, I understand because that is the road people should take. We should be forgiving. But give it a moment. Give it a second. <laughs> also, there's sudden levels of forgiving. Yeah, mm. I guess. I think it's grossly irresponsible to allow him to come back onto the ship and participate in a role which actually requires the safety of a large number of people on the ship. Yes. That's true. And also, he almost destroyed an entire planet's worth of people. Yeah, probably more because they wanted to expunge all biological life in the galaxy, not just not just Earth, not just Sol system. Mm. But yeah. 
madness. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah, but I feel I feel like the the Finn family is meant to exemplify that kind of take the high road. She's a doctor. I mean, it's like the Hippocratic oath and that kind of thing. You're there to help. You're there to serve. And I guess there to forgive. Beautiful. But sometimes the the crew of the Orville are just better than we are. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a moment. <laughs> Getting a bit tears. Oh gosh. We get a really nice uh, team up with Malloy and Kelly. Mm. Shelley, do you want to fill this one? Yes, I enjoy this because, you know, we know that off camera, they're engaged. Yeah. How exciting. And this was kind of the first episode where they were really kind of teaming up and doing something together. They went out in the shuttle and they were really heroic with the krill and everything like that. And I can really kind of sense that chemistry there. Not that it was overt or anything. No, well, I've never really paid attention to them as a, you know, pairing on screen before mm. until you sent me a message the other week saying, oh, they got engaged. And yeah. I'm like, oh, it's Palicki and Scott Grimes. And it's like, That's you know, it's all very nice and yeah. whatever. Uh, so I've been like watching the two of them on screen and I've never seen like moments where they're actually together really engaging that often. No. So I wonder if this is kind of what, well, no, we, we were talking about it before. They were engaged ages ago and this is probably only recently filmed. But um, yeah, they had really great chemistry on screen. You can see why they're together in real life. Look, absolutely. I thought it was kind of fun watching the two of them on the ship together as well, because you've got the moment where Malloy is pressured into, I've got to do something to, you know, get us there faster. So he puts the little shuttlecraft they're in into ludicrous speed and gets the shuttle to cruel space. Prepare ship for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. <gasps> ludicrous speed. Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take it. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Prepare ship! Prepare ship for ludicrous speed! Yeah, what are you, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? <laughs> <laughs> um, Gordon Malloy also had the best line of the episode, I think, when he called one of the Kalon Sea Creepio. That was my favourite moment, and I was hoping you'd forgotten about no. it because I wanted to say that at the end of the episode. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Sid. Look, while you may have enjoyed that, I enjoyed the line he gave, and this probably isn't the best line. It's probably the grossest thing I've heard on TV for a while. But this is him saying, it's time to wash your mouth out with Gordon. Ew. Mm. What does he mean? Time to wash your mouth out with Gordon. Yeah, I'm going to stick with C. Creepier. It's just... <laughs> that that rests better. What do you guys think of the epic battle at the end? Look, I thought the battle was fine. It didn't really feel like anything we sort of haven't seen before, but it was still fun and enjoyable watching it. Mm -hmm. What I think I enjoyed a little bit more was seeing the relationship with the Krill and the humans straight after the battle. Mm. Yes. Because like, they're not friends yet. No, but it sort of seems like both of them have acknowledged that this is a moment where they could form something larger. Yeah, and yeah. both of them express that in the reference in reference to their kind of values. So the humans say basically, you know, we see this as an opportunity to work together, whereas the krill are like, well, clearly Avis has brought us together for a purpose. So he, this he united our paths for a reason. There you we go. shall see where that path leads. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so they you can still see there's differences there. Obviously, there are. They just fought one battle together because they were in a pretty precarious place because the Union Navy was basically so beaten apart that the flagship that Halsley Halsey? Halsey. Halsey. Mm. Um, Admiral Halsey's flagship lost main power and had to retreat. You know, they, yeah. the Krill were in a perfect position to just exploit the situation and just take out Earth. But they didn't, which is hopefully, you know, there's there's some kind of, there's going to be a midpoint there. Mm. Best buds. BFFs. No. One of my favourite moments from the show, and this is something that we got to experience, but who generally watching it can't, 
is we get to see some of the episodes without all the special effects there. So it's always a unique experience watching it. But it was kind of cool to see just the moment where I've seen in space battle sequences where like the wall of a ship gets blown away and you see people getting sucked out of the air hole. Anyway, like we've all seen that and this does happen for a moment, but we got to see how they actually made that. And I thought it was kind of cool being able to see the green screen behind and the axes being yanked out on harnesses. Yes. What seems like it's just like a throwaway moment in the episode, like you kind of see like there's so much effort that goes into getting that shot. Mm. But yeah, it's like it'd be really cool if people got to see this without special effects at some point. Yeah. Just to see like the artisanal nature of the actual craft that goes into making the show. Yeah, and how much of a labour it is for all the people involved. That kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to just something that appears on your TV or your computer one yeah. day for you to watch. So yeah. now we're doing this. Occasionally get like cool shots if you see like behind the scenes DVD extra sort of stuff. Yeah. Like those yeah. EPKs. But yeah. yeah it's, it's cool watching a full episode like this. Yeah. And, and for us kind of like watching it a, f- a couple of times. So watching the sort of online cut and then watching the finished product and just seeing the leap. Yeah. But it's, it's always so interesting. Yeah. It's wild. You know, obviously with all the green screen stuff, that they're, they're going to put in that special effects after, but you really notice and appreciate the sets and the costumes and there's so much practical effects here yeah. in work. you're a cosplay uh, costume maker. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, you probably are a bit more in touch with this, I guess. Yeah, I'm yeah. Ter- I've always noticed the costumes in this show. They're absolutely beautiful. And next time you watch it, just just... Just have a look. Everybody's costume is so beautiful and unique. And every time somebody comes on screen when they're kind of in their casual clothes, it's always something different. Very special. Now, most supernovas and Oz Comic Cons, you'll find Shelley walking the halls dressed as something. Yeah. Have you felt inspired to go down like an Orville path for an upcoming con? That is a fabulous idea. Yeah? Going as the effort? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll make that weird noise. <laughs> So on this podcast, we do like to go a little bit deeper into some of the issues that we're finding within the show. Something which kind of like struck all of us and surprising is the idea of protocols if like people encounter like an alien species. Yeah. Well, do we have a directive 98? You know, what what, what are we going to do when we when we uh, find intelligent life? Yeah. Now, my understanding is that there's no protocol. No. Well, I mean, the whole sort of, I guess, until now, the whole scientific search for extraterrestrial life. SETI. SETI. Um, so the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, as it's called. So SETI was actually set up in 1992 as a um, federally funded American enterprise, I guess. Mm. <clears throat> but then it was in 1993, all the funds were just rescinded, just one year. They expected to find life in one year. And the, the senator, who was a Nevada senator, actually said, as of today, millions have been spent and we have yet to bag a single little green fellow. Or, you know, not one Martian has said, take me to your leader, and not a single flying saucer has been applied for FFA, FAA approval, which is just such a glib political way of, you know, trivializing. Did he really say that? Yeah, he said that. Oh, my god! And you had had all these scientists kind of putting all their work and passion into trying to look for signals from outer space. But SETI lasted one year, but thankfully... Well, sorry, funding for SETI lasted one year, but it kept on running. Exactly, because thankfully scientists are good... Honest, passionate people, usually. And uh, it became an academic thing. So you've got the SETI Institute and people like Carl Sagan really did did um, champion that. Yeah, my minor involvement with SETI was right at the formation of lots of people getting online in like the very late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. People could actually donate some of their computer processing to SETI. Really? So I know I signed up for it for like about two weeks and then I did a computer reformat and completely forgot about doing it again. 
but you could do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess I guess like crowdsourcing space exploration and science is becoming more popular. Like when Mars rover was up there, you could VR and just kind of check out what's going on around. Wow. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Mm. But actually, last year, out of the blue, I guess with all this space force stuff going on, yeah, the U.S. Congress actually passed a um, bill. Actually, I don't know if it's actually been passed, but they did propose a bill for twenty million dollars of funding for NASA to look for what they call techno signatures. So basically, start up the search for life again. And now you've got all kinds of not only just scientists, but there's a billionaire funded group, which actually sounds like the plot of a supervillain movie called uh, Breakthrough Listen. And it's run by a Russian Israeli venture capitalist billionaire called Yuri Borisovich Milner. So perfect setup. Mm -hmm. But they're using a South African massive telescopic array to look for intelligent life for the next five years. So all this stuff is really going on, Mm. but there's no real protocol of what we should do if we do come across intelligent life. Is that pulse thing in South Africa sending out a noise? Are we trying to alert things to our presence or are we just like hovering and trying to listen? Well, I would presume it's listening in the same way if you've seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, which played around with a lot of this stuff. It's about listening for radio signals and finding uh, patterns out there. Yeah. I mean, they've sent signals out into space but i think if you're well, just I mean, passively- consistently sending signals yeah, exactly. into space. Oh, yeah. yeah but if you're just passively listening you're probably more likely to at a less expensive energy get something right. now something i wonder as we're doing a lot less broadcasting well definitely we'll be doing less broadcasting more transmitting media via internet soon yeah like all those radio signals we've been sending out into space like inadvertently like are they just gonna is earth gonna suddenly just seem really quiet out in space yeah wow maybe they'll think we're done maybe they won't have a reason to come out here. Yeah. They'll be looking at it going, oh, well, we're seeing Judge Judy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, clearly that was the pinnacle of human civilization. And then they decided to stop. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what they will think of us. Mm. For any xenoarchaeologists of other space species. Yeah. Maybe that's what they'll think. Good. But SETI has a protocol. So if it does come across a signal, it's agreed upon action is to make that openly available for different nations and different people to try and understand and make sense of. (gasps) Like in Arrival? Yeah, like in Arrival, which is actually a really interesting and great exploration of what we would do in First Contact because it's learning language. It's all that kind of stuff. It's pretty crazy, but there's no actual protocol, especially if we're visited by anything hostile. Mm. We've we've got nothing there. Like in Signs, you throw water in it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You, you, th- you put the water on the alien and he dies. That's the protocol. Now, I'd like to do a PSA, mm-hmm. public service announcement. Sure. If you haven't seen Arrival or Contact, see both those movies. They're both outstandingly good. If you haven't seen Signs, maybe give it a miss. <laughs> but Bruce Willis was in it. <laughs> exactly. There's the tie-in. There you are. So there's no real protocol, which the Pentagon, well, the United States Strategic Command, has a zombie preparedness plan, and as does mm. the Center for Disease Control, but they don't have an alien one. Which leads me to believe they probably do and we just don't know it. I'm sure they do. I'd be surprised if most countries don't have some sort of protocol in place for what they do if, you know, life is discovered. Yeah, or maybe there's some kind of like XCOM-style international organisation that's constantly ready for this. Yeah, I mean, obviously the US, you've got Area 51. You know, there's stuff going on there. They're prepared for this. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like Project Blue Book, that's what all that's about. Yeah, so in the 50s, the United States Air Force and an academic basically went around the USA looking at all kinds of different reportings of UFOs and things like the Roswell, you know, sightings and all that kind of stuff. And it was called Project Blue Book. So it was a real thing and it only just got declassified. Yeah. There's a TV series based on Project Blue Book that's hitting the screen soon. Yeah, yeah. Coming to SBS in late March on SBS and SBS On Demand. 
So pretty interesting. It's got Aidan Gillen, um, who played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. And it's just an interesting, if you're into like the X-Files, but want a bit of a Mad Men kind of vibe, because it's all 1950s, obviously. It's pretty cool. And every episode is um, kind of like looking at a different sighting. So you've got the Lubbock, land, Lubbock sightings and all kinds of different stuff. It's pretty interesting stuff if you're into that, which yeah. I assume you are if you're listening to a podcast about a space show. Yeah, I feel the crossover audience between the Orville and Project Blue, Project Blue, Blue is pretty, pretty high. Yeah, you know. Call it a hunch. So obviously there's no real protocols in, no. you know, no official protocols at least to really speak of, but we've seen so many alien invasions and first contacts in various TV shows and movies. Mm. I thought maybe we'd just go around if there's any that really stand out to you. Uh, the two for me is like the arrival and, sorry, arrival, it's cooler. <laughs> arrival and the contact. Uh, Shelley, what about yourself? Is there any... I guess for me, it's probably Independence Day. Of course, classic. Send the mothership a virus. Yeah. Take them down from the inside. Yeah, just just use your MacBook to send them a virus. Yeah. Just interface directly. And then walk over a salt flat with a... Big cigar. Big cigar. Make, make sure you take your Thunderbolt cable up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... And then I already referenced my other favourite movie, Signs. So that yeah. was Water. So I trashed that one. How dare you? Uh, Independence Day. Did you watch the sequel? Of course. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sid? Well, look, I'm going to I'm gonna preface this because I actually also really liked Arrival's depiction of it. And actually, though I didn't care for the movie that much, I did like the idea of Prometheus where they go and try and find out about an, an alien culture through their artifacts. But Carl Sagan, who actually was a SETI researcher... And wrote the book that Contact was based on. Yeah, and wrote the book that Contact was based on. He kind of said that basically if a civilization is advanced enough to come out here and find us that they'll already have transcended those really primal and base instincts that lead them to be hostile towards us, which is a nice thing to think about and probably not true mm. But uh, because the universe's resources are finite. But, yeah, anyway, it's just a different way to think about it. Maybe they won't want to just come here and destroy everything. Well, as I think not. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm you'd scared. You'd hope so. Yeah, I don't feel good about this at all. No. Maybe they just want to come here and uh, watch some live tapes of uh, Judge Judy. Look, I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I guess so. On that note, I think we probably need to wrap up this week's Orville Land so we can get started on our Judge Judy podcast for the afternoon. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Beam it straight to space. <laughs> anyway, this has been Orville Land. Thank you very much for listening. Shelley Peacock, it has been an absolute delight. Thank you, Dan. Now, you're on Instagram. We're going to do this again. Oh, dear. I'm yeah. so sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's at underscore hellbells. With a Z. With a Z. And then another underscore. Apologies. <laughs> How do you live your life? <laughs> Sid Sharma. I'm at Amraz, A-M-R-A-H-S, which is my magician name. Magician's name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm. From when I was a little boy. Yeah. Did magic. Did you like magic as a kid? I love magic as a kid. Yeah. Who is your favorite magician? I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> uh, correct answer, Siegfried and Roy. No, no, they were tiger people, weren't they? Yeah, but we try to forget that. They did traditional magic as well. Really? Around the tigers. Oh, wow. I just love the prestige. Yeah, it's beautiful. Also, Sid's been running his own private prestige now for the last 15 years. It's exactly true. Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett, where I've got all sorts of opinions on various social media about magicians. Excellent. <laughs> My favourite, Mandrake. Oh. The comic guy? Yeah. Oh, great. Mm. Also a defender of the earth from the 1980s cartoon series. True. Mm. Anyway, that's enough of me. This has been Orville Land. Uh, we'd like to recommend that if you enjoy this podcast, leave reviews around the place. It helps other people find the show. Talk about the Orville on social media. Use the hashtag Orville Land. 
And tell your friends if they're not watching Orville, give it a look. It's pretty good. You agree, Shelley? I do. It's great. Yeah, as one of the marketing managers of SBS On Demand. Yeah, look, you're going to love it. Give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Orville Land. We will see you next week.